I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, as the brutal killing of Tyree Nichols in Memphis focuses attention again on police accountability, San Francisco is poised to drop homicide charges against an officer in the controversial shooting of an unarmed man. As in Memphis, the emotions and politics around the local case are intense. This story, like most involving police shootings, begins with a video. It was captured on December 1st, 2017. It shows a rookie San Francisco officer, Christopher Samayoa, fire a single fatal shot at Keita O'Neill, a man who was fleeing on foot after jumping out of a carjacked lottery van. Fast forward to November 2020. That's when District Attorney Chase Boudin, who'd been elected on a promise to hold police accountable, filed manslaughter charges against Officer Samayoa. It was a historic case. No San Francisco district attorney had ever brought homicide charges against an officer in an on-duty shooting. Now fast forward to today. District Attorney Brooke Jenkins, who replaced Boudin after leading an effort to recall him, is on the brink of dropping those charges. She says the case is not prosecutable and that Boudin pushed it for political reasons. In a statement to the Chronicle, Boudin responded of Jenkins, quote, she is deeply politically motivated and she does not care about victims of police violence. My guest today is Joshua Sharp, a Chronicle reporter who covers criminal justice and has been following the case. Josh, take us back to December 1st, 2017. What happened? So on December 1st, 2017, a California state lottery worker is allegedly uh, carjacked of her van. A police pursuit then ensued to follow this van. And as the police were following the van, they finally ended up at a dead end. And the person driving the van jumped out and began to flee the scene. And as he's fleeing the scene, one of the police officers in the car fires a shot through his window. And this officer was sitting in the passenger seat, right? And it had very new to the force. So Officer Christopher Semayoa was at that point a probationary officer. He'd only recently graduated from the police academy. This was, I believe, his fourth day in the field. So this is, you know, he is uh, basically as green as they come. And we see this video. It's shot by, correct me if I'm wrong, Semayoa himself with a body camera, right? Yes. And Keita O'Neill is coming back, running, and he's coming toward the car. In hindsight, it looks like he's going to run past the car, but he's also running toward the officer at that moment. We now know he's unarmed. Tell us about the conflict over whether the officer fired in self-defense or whether this is a manslaughter because it was an unnecessary killing. So that conflict centers on a question, and that question is, did Keita O'Neill reach for his waistband? And the reason that question is so important is because Samayoa says the reason he was in, you know, in fear of his life was that he thought he saw Keto O'Neill reach for his waistband, which he had been trained to know is a potential moment when somebody could have a weapon. But this actually, unfortunately, is not shown on the video. That is according to the district attorney's office. Now, other people may view the video and have a different opinion, but People have not agreed on that, and that is the big hole in the evidence in this case. If that video were more clear, we might be having a different conversation right now. Okay, 2017, though, Josh, I mean, this happened two district attorneys ago. George Gascon is in office. Walk us through the history of this case. 
George Gascon in 2017 is the district attorney, and he has, uh, just like Boudin and Jenkins, has an internal investigations unit that handles police shootings, and they began looking at it. But by the time uh, Gascon left office in 2019, he had still not made a decision on whether or not to charge the case. So Boudin comes into office in 2020, and as we all know, a cornerstone of his campaign is uh, this idea of police accountability and that he's going to do things differently than anybody else. Well, flash forward a little bit, and we're coming up on the three-year anniversary of the killing. Now, this is important because the statute of limitations for manslaughter was about to run. It runs in three years. And at the time that Boudin's office supposedly began to notice this, it happens that the lead investigator who's been on the case for three years is on vacation. So Boudin asked another investigator to review the files and the evidence and make a determination of whether or not there was probable cause for a warrant. This investigator looks over the evidence and finds that there is probable cause in his opinion, and he apparently communicates this to Boudin. And then on November 23rd, 2020, Boudin makes history as being the first San Francisco district attorney to ever charge a police officer for an on-duty killing. But Josh, as this case is being prosecuted, it's heading toward trial, Chase Boudin is recalled. Yes, he's recalled, and the person appointed to replace him is Brooke Jenkins. She's appointed by uh, Mayor London Breed to replace him. She had also been heavily involved in the campaign to recall Boudin. She previously worked under him at the DA's office, but quit in protest. And when Jenkins is appointed, and even more so after she's later elected to the office, this question follows her. How serious is she going to be about police accountability? Her detractors very much see her as somebody who is captured by the police union and police interests. And the logical conclusion of that, if it were true, is that she would be less inclined to prosecute police officers. And the latest development in this case does not go against that idea because Jenkins has just announced that she intends to drop the charges against Officer Samayoa unless Attorney General Rob Bonta steps in to take the case. All right, Josh, after a short break, I want to ask you about Brooke Jenkins' rationale for looking to drop this case. But first, a reminder about our live Fifth and Mission taping coming this Thursday. W. Kamau Bell of CNN's United Shades of America will be with us. We'll be talking about labor organizing in tech with two very special guests as well. Come celebrate Fifth and Mission's 1,000th episode with us. We'll be at Manny's in the Mission. Remember, it's this Thursday, 6 p.m. For tickets and information, go to welcometomannies.com. We'll be right back. Did you know the number one way people discover new podcasts is word of mouth from their friends? So if you enjoy Fifth and Mission, we'd love it if you tell someone about our show, even if it's just one person. Thanks for helping us make new friends. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bowley here with Chronicle reporter Joshua Sharp. Josh, Brooke Jenkins' decision that she cannot prosecute in the killing of Keita O'Neill, at least 
the San Francisco District Attorney's Office cannot. What is her rationale for that? To tell you about her rationale, I should probably take you back a couple of weeks. And that is when she says her office is contacted by a couple of different people who have concerns about the Keto O'Neill case and how the charges were filed. She then starts speaking with these investigators within the office, including the investigator who wrote the warrant, and she comes to the conclusion that this case was filed for political purposes, that it can't be proven that Officer Samayoa was not in fear of his life. She comes to the conclusion that Boudin filed this case just because he wanted to make history. Josh, all these latest developments have come out in a letter that Brooke Jenkins wrote to the attorney generals you mentioned, Rob Bonta. What did that say, and what are we learning from that letter? She lays out what she's learned in what can only be described as an investigation of her predecessor's handling of the case. She says that the warrant, quote, relies solely on an argument that it can be proven beyond a reasonable doubt that O'Neill didn't reach for his waistband. Or the warrant relies on the idea that Samayoa should have known that O'Neill had no weapon, in fact. Now, I should say, these are Jenkins' conclusions of what the warrant is, is arguing and saying. I have received a copy from the DA's office of this warrant, but the DA's office redacted all of the argument about why there's probable cause. So we don't exactly know what she's relying on to make those statements. But she says that, essentially, what it boils down to is this warrant relies on hindsight. And she says 2020 hindsight is not permissible in a court of law. Josh, what about Chase Boudin? I mean, Brooke Jenkins is throwing a lot of accusations his way, and he still believes in this case. Yeah, so he told me that he thought that the dismissal and her alleged reasons for doing it were offensive. He did not think that it was the right thing to do. He called it great evidence of people's fears that Jenkins won't hold the police accountable. And he says this shows that she won't hold police accountable. He even accuses that she doesn't care about victims of police violence. Now, Jenkins, of course, for her part, says she does and says that she intends to hold police accountable. This is not remotely the first time that Brooke Jenkins and Chase Boudin and their camps have gone after each other with these type of accusations. Oh, absolutely not. The mud has been in the air for a couple of years now. And if this letter that Jenkins wrote to Rob Bont is any indication, the mud is going to keep slinging. This letter is very much making a case against the prosecution, but also making a case against Boudin himself. And Josh, how does this fit into the national conversation? I mean, one thing you and I have talked about is that even though we've had a big reckoning over police reform, which you cover for the Chronicle, we have not seen a decrease in the number of police killings nationwide in the years since Ferguson exploded. I mean, how should people look at something like this and apply it to lessons for how we hold police accountable in these situations? This is one of the challenges I think that progressive prosecutors face, and that is they want to do things so very differently than their predecessors have done them that if there are other people in their offices, such as Jenkins was in Boudin's office, who are attached to the old way and still believe in the old way, then there's going to be conflict. We're hearing already about conflict going on in Alameda County, where 
Pamela Price, a longtime civil rights attorney, has been elected the district attorney. And we'll probably hear more. These progressive prosecutors, they're attempting to really remake how this system works, which they say is something that urgently needs to be done. But there is sure going to continue to be a lot of disagreement about it. And these are very tough cases, right? They certainly can be tough cases for a variety of reasons. Generally, prosecutors throughout American history have not looked at police as the type of people who can be charged with a crime, especially if they're on duty. Police are even allowed to commit assault to get somebody to cooperate in certain circumstances. So it is asking for big change. And another issue, it seems, is that many, many times the police who were charged go to the local attorney who specializes in representing police charged with misconduct or accused of misconduct. And those lawyers tend to be very powerful. There are some of them in San Francisco and in the area. They're smart. They have money. They know how to keep cases in court rather than at trial. And it, it can drag the process out. Now, there are other cases where things go quicker. But certainly, I think we're seeing since, uh, since Ferguson, really, this increased attempt to hold police officers criminally responsible for what people believe is criminal behavior. But we see a lot of charges. We don't see a lot of convictions. Josh, what about Keita O'Neill's family as all of this is happening? I know you've spoken to O'Neill's aunt, April Green. What is she saying? Well, she is, she's extraordinarily upset because her nephew was killed more than five years ago at this point. And she's been pushing for what she believes is justice this entire time. You know, she believes that this killing was wildly unjustified. She thinks it's another example of police abusing uh, black and brown people. And she learned that Jenkins intends to drop the charges. And I spoke with her after, and she was obviously devastated. She told me she was very, very hopeful that A.G. Rob Bonta would take over the case. She's been calling for that. Her attorney wrote a letter to Bonta about that. But the main thing that stuck with me is just her her, her sadness and anger. She has had a health scare recently, and you know she told me it's like um you know I'm I'm not supposed to be this upset. I'm supposed to be resting for my surgery, and now there's this. And, you know, Jenkins says she's going to drop the charges on, on March 1st. Well, April Green still going to be laid up in bed recovering. She won't even get to see the moment when the charges are dropped. So she's very, very disappointed. Very, very disappointed. Josh, thanks so much for joining me. You're so welcome. Thank you. For more about San Francisco District Attorney Brooke Jenkins' decision in the Keita O'Neill case, Check out the story from Chronicle reporters Joshua Sharp and St. John Barnard Smith at sfchronicle.com and on the Chronicle app. I'm Damian Bolwa. Thank you to Francesca Fenzi for producing this episode, to King Kaufman for editing it, and thank you for listening. <laughs>